Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you are here today on My Turning Point with special guest Sammy Hagar. That's right, the red rocker himself, rock and roll hall of famer, all around fascinating dude with stories for hours. Join us today as he talks about Jimmy Buffett, tequila, Bruce Springsteen, Van Halen, and a whole lot more. Hope you enjoy it as much as we did. So, you know, I'm sure that you've had a lot of turning points, but one that really jumps out for you, one that comes to mind that you think about kind of where led you to the Ritz-Carlton on this Thursday afternoon. <laughs> oh, geez. You know, I got to say the reinvention of myself when I moved to Cabo and I built the Cabo Wabo and I, I decided, to, I, I fell into a lifestyle thing big time. And when I moved down there for one year, my children were small. They're all grown up now, but it's 20, 20 years ago, you know, something like that, 19, 20 years ago. Uh, my wife and I said, let's go down. Let's just move down, put our kids in school down there. And one kid was in preschool. It was still, you know, just little kids. They learned how to speak Spanish in that year. I said, I'm going to slow my life down, you know. And, um, and when I did that, I fell into a lifestyle without even thinking about it. And uh, Jimmy Buffett had done the same thing. That's why people start saying, oh, you're the heavy metal Jimmy Buffett. I ain't the heavy metal nothing. <laughs> I'm just, I fell into some shit, you know. And uh, it, it changed me. It's like, you know, I came back and decided to go back to work and start making a record with the Wobbles at that time. And and uh, man, I just I just couldn't shake it. I couldn't, I couldn't put on long pants and I couldn't put on a pair of leather pants anymore, you know. I couldn't put on, I couldn't get dressed up to go out on stage. And, and it just was really a turning point. I just, I just can't do that. I don't feel comfortable. I'd put on these clothes. I'd buy all these fancy clothes. Like I just got all these outfits that we're trying on for, for the event tomorrow and, and for, you know, other things that are coming up. And I'm, cause I need some clothes <laughs> and I'm going, I guess I can't wear my bathing suit. Uh, so, but, but I just couldn't do it. I said, man, I put them on and I'd go, man, I, I look in the mirror and go, shit, man, <laughs> that ain't me anymore. <laughs> So that was a big turning point because I had left Van Halen, you know, a uh, you know, high-profile band. Uh, and I was getting that way in Van Halen because I was going to Cabo a lot. But it wasn't until I moved down there. That, that's a turning point. It changed my music. It changed my, the way I think, how I feel about life and how I treat people and everything else. You know what's so interesting, though, is, is when we do these, we often find talking with people that it, it you know, influences where they are today. Clearly it does. But what's also interesting about it is you get perspective. Can you look back on it now, 20 years later, and see what it was specifically about that that influenced you so greatly? Because you know, when you're in the midst of it, when you're living down there, you're just having fun. Can you look back on it and see sure. why it had such a profound... I think the profound thing, because the turning point before that was building the Cabo Wobble out of the blue. I just go visit Cabo San Lucas when there's only three hotels down there back in 1979, 80, and I bought a condo and I said, man, I'm going to build a place and build a tequila bar. And, and, and I did all that, but I still didn't quit doing everything else I had been doing. You know, I was still the same guy. I was wearing my leather pants down there on the beach, you know. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I was not the leather guy. That's just a metaphor to the, so yeah. you can see the picture clearer, okay. There's Sammy on the beach in leather pants, yeah, and a, a silk shirt. So, <laughs> so I go, um, I think that when I built the Cabo Wobble, and then when I, that's what provoked me to move down there, and you know, I said, "Oh, I got a place to eat. I can go play music every night if I want." You know, I got pe- 124 people, employees. You know, that will come and mow my lawn, <laughs> wash my car, whatever. But uh, so 
I think the fact that I got to go play music whenever I wanted and didn't have to dress up, didn't have to charge money, didn't have to make it a financial thing, didn't have to put a band together, didn't have to have a road crew, do all the interviews. I didn't have to do nothing. I just put on my, I didn't even put on anything. Well, I was probably naked, so I put on my, <laughs> my bathing suit, no shoes, and a t-shirt, went down, ate some tacos, had a couple margaritas, and jumped up on stage. And that, looking back, that made me say, this is the way to play music. I was going to say, it's funny, did it bring back the purity of music for you? Because, yes. you know, when you start off, right, you're doing it because you love music, and then you become successful, and then you freaking deal with a band like Van Halen, right? And we were just talking about or that. Or Montrose. You know, yeah, yeah, any band, whatever, <laughs> where there's such a high profile and there's so many expectations. It's like, you can't just, Van Halen couldn't go out and just fucking play like, oh, okay, cool, we want to do the Roxy tonight, a surprise gig. That's yeah. never going to happen, you know? So They for, could. See, they could, but it's a mental state. You think, oh, no, man, we got to be great. Oh, no, we got to do this. We got to do that. Well, we, people are used to seeing a big production, and, you know, we need 35 trucks, you know. And But, I mean, you do. I still like to do a big production every now and then when I decide to go out and do tour. When you, when you go out and charge money, yeah, you, you got to bring something a little more. But to just jump up on stage and play, that's, yeah, that, a lot of people can't do that and don't want to do it. Well, I don't know if they want to do it. I want to do it. That's the best way to play music. And especially when it's free. You know, here I am talking, I charge money to see me, but I play probably 40 free shows a year, you know, in various ways. And uh, I dig it, because that's you to say, man, <laughs> that you're going to accept what I'm feeling at this moment. And that's how I built my fan base to add deeper into the whole thing about the t turning point that it actually embraced a fan base, a, a lifestyle of pe people that like the lifestyle. They said, oh, we want to live like Sammy, we, you know. And so... Uh, it was easier to get away with me and have a following that's, that's into that. So I kind of, I really transformed, at, just complete morphed into some other thing. And I'm still the same guy. Is what it really was, looking back as well, okay, I'll take you back. That's who I really was. I said, hey, I like this. You know, this other stuff makes me nervous. Oh, I got to get in front of a camera. Oh, I better get dressed up. And oh, you know, I feel all uncomfortable. And I feel, I feel so much more comfortable just going out being myself. Uh, like if I had to, I used to think if Kiss was like the ultimate band, I would say, oh my God, you just go put on that uniform and do an act, collect the money and go home. You know, back when I was just wanting to be rich and famous, I thought, boy, they, those guys are smart, you know? And now I'm thinking if I had to do that, I'd shoot myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's funny though. I think it, it's interesting though, because what you're talking about too, also obviously, Look, for everyone, and you and I have talked about this, you get more comfortable as you get older. So the idea of being able to just be yourself probably became so much easier when you were older. Because when you're 25 and you want to be a rock star, you know, it is the image of Kiss. You know, it is the image of, of yeah, the you know, Stones, Zeppelin. all my heroes yeah. looking yeah. growing up. You know, Led Zeppelin, man, I, you know, I wanted to dress like that and be act like that on stage. And, and I did. And, and you, know, you know, you emulate your heroes without a doubt. Um, but yeah, as you, as you get my timing, once again, that turning point was at a perfect time. I'd recently been thrown out of Van Halen, right? And I thought, geez, what am I going to do? I can't compete with that band, you know, Eddie Van Halen, you know, the goat of all time, one of the greatest of all time, you know. So you can't go out and try to man for man match those guys and try to do that same thing that we did so well. Had so many hits. The times had changed. It was a perfect time for me to say, I'm out, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to try to be rich and famous anymore and try to be uh, 
you know, current and whatever thing, you know, rap was coming in, grunge had kicked our ass already. Van Halen was one of the few people that held up to the grunge movement, you know, could still sell out the arenas and stuff. Um, so coming out of that, I just said, yeah, I'd just be happy to go play three, 4,000 seat theaters or whatever happens. And, you know, I had a, a philosophy and I still have it. I don't care if I get one more new fan. I really do. And now I, I almost do again now, you know, but it, when I, made this decision. I don't care if I have one more new fan. I just want to keep the ones I got. So I'm going to make them really happy and I'm going to go play for three hours and I'm going to show play for free all the time and I'm going to you know, do all these extra special things to keep them happy. And um, I think that was a, a really good good move that I really solidified an audience and they're loyal as hell. You know, and, and I would like to have a bunch more of them but if I don't, I'd be okay. Something you just said was interesting, though, because it's fascinating to me, because this is something I was thinking about recently with the idea of heroes, you know, and, and the way that they influence your life in some way. But it's funny, because you said all your musical heroes, you know, talking about like Zeppelin and all of that stuff. But when as, as you get older, right, <laughs> and you had this total shift in lifestyle, was there like one person that you looked up to or one sort of hero that emerged as you started to think about your whole new sort of perspective on life? Yeah, I started seeing other people in a different light. People that were doing something that I used to make fun of almost, you know, Jimmy Buffett. You know, I, I used to say, you know, people people would say, oh man, he was going to Jimmy Buffett. I'd say, come on, man, that guy's got one hit, you know, Margaritaville, big deal, you know. And then you realize that wasn't just a hit, man. That was a, empire. That was a, that was a pathway to, to the, the golden empire. And, and then now I look at how he's really doing it. And I understand, you know, then I, I, I became less critical. Uh, somebody I always did like, but I even like even more, was a guy like Neil Young that was always so adventurous that, um, I mean, Neil would go out and with Crazy Horse, loud jam band, then he'd turn around and go out by himself with the acoustic guitar. You walk on the side of the stage where I went to one of his shows, he invited me, he says, hey man, come on down, I'm playing in town. And I walk in and it was, I was afraid to take a breath. You know, it was like, it was so quiet, you know, and, and he'd pull it off and then he'd make a, you know, all these different kinds of records, just being really brave uh, musically. I started seeing that as, you know, I started looking at people like that as being my hero, somebody that's not afraid <clears throat> to um, just go out and do your own thing, you know. I mean, I was so caught up. I got, I'll take you way back, you know, in Montrose. And all, I was so caught up in being Roger Daltrey or Robert Plant or Mick Jagger. And then Rod Stewart, oh man, now I like him. Oh, and then Paul Wright, oh, I want to sing like him. You know, I had these guys and I was, I would just want to be rich and famous and I would have taken any road I could have if someone would have, if I would have had a big hit with something that launched, you know, my career before I discovered myself, uh, I, I, I probably would have rode that wave until I said, I can't stand this business anymore and quit or something. Uh, I was fortunate not to have an overnight hit because it allowed me enough time to build an audience on tour because I was always a performer. And I could go out and perform any song in the world and make people cheer. You know, I could get an encore for playing Mary Had a Little Lamb. That's the way I looked at myself as a performer back in the 70s. And uh, then I finally grew up a little bit and kind of discovered myself a little more and then had my first hits after I finally did that, like with, you know, Sanding Hampton record got after... After I was signed to Geffen Records, so um, I, I've been a lucky guy. I think I got angels on my shoulders, something because everything happens to me at the right time. And I was always in a hurry. I was always saying, "Man, you know, look at that guy. How come he, you know?" And, and, and then I realized, "No, nah, take it easy, son. <laughs> we got plans for you, you know." And uh, in the end, poof. What can I say? 
Yeah, it's funny. I'm, I'm just, you know, not to be cheesy, but it's like, it's, you know, I think about a song like I Can't Drive 55. It's kind of a metaphor for you, just in general. Real song. That was a protest song. Right, I know, but People in terms of it was a it, gimmick, I'm glad. I know, so but it's I interesting <laughs> because you talk about the fact that, you know, you were always in a hurry. Yeah. It feels like that was sort of a, you know, for the way that you were approaching the career as well. Yeah, that's true. I just worked. I just went up, rolled up my sleeve. I went out on tour and I'd come home, make a record, and I'd go right back out on tour. And I'd, I just didn't feel like I could get enough. I wasn't getting it fast enough. And I could feel it. I could feel that, you know, it coming. I'd say the crowd's getting bigger and I'm getting paid more and my records are selling more. And I'm going, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, yeah, I need that big explosion. And it never had it. Um, and thank God. So it's all good. I can't drive 55. Like I said, that was, everyone thinks that's such a gimmick song. And it was just a true story. I mean, I got pulled over. You know, I've told the story yeah. a million times. And yeah. I got, I was said, I can't drive 55. Oh, that's a good title song. And I just wrote about <laughs> the, the experience, you know. Yeah. No, it's like I said, it's just to me, it struck me as the idea of how it's funny how a song about that could, you know. And that's one of the cool things about how, you know, songs have so many meanings. And it's an interesting thing because you talk about some of the, the early hits and like the Standing Hampton record. And, you know, it's funny. I'll go back and revisit songs like, you know, There's Only One Way to Rock is one that just comes back again and again. Red, I was just listening to a lot. And it's interesting. For every artist, right? You go back, you revisit your material, and you hear it in a different way as you get older because you have a very different perspective on life. And now you have all this experience, and you have the Cabo turning point and all of these things. And even it applies to the shit you did with Van Halen. Are there songs of yours that you now have a different appreciation for? Or it's funny, too, because also songs that you would like to just strip down and put in play in a new way. Well, I, I, I've already done a lot of strip, stripping down. Fans don't like that as much as I do. You know, artists like it more than the fans. You know, the, I, I've stripped dreams down because I could. I don't think I could ever sing it that way again. You know, it was out of my range to begin with. I don't know how I sang that. I just, <laughs> I was on helium. And I just, you know, I, I just freaking did it. And I, when it was done, everybody's going, "Wow, how'd you do that?" I'm going. I don't know. I don't know if I can ever do it again. <laughs> and then I went out on tour and we did it. We did it, but it was always a struggle. And. uh so I just, it's such a great song, I can't lose it. So I just stripped it down and put it in a real low key and I'm singing, you know, like, let's get higher and higher instead of, you know, yeah. and it's, it's real rewarding to me, but the fans are always saying, hey man, we, we play dreams, you know, like the record. <laughs> I'm going, no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. <clears throat> but yeah, I do acoustic shows to satisfy that part of me because like I say, I like to, I like to satisfy my fans. It's I figure they pay to see it. I'm not just going to go out there and be a snobby artist and say, you know, every now and then I'm, I get like that when it's free at the Cobble Wobble. But other than that, I like to satisfy them. So, you know, I, I do acoustic shows and then I do like Right Now and Dreams and some of my other songs, you know, The Love and, um, you know, just some of my softer stuff that I would never play in concert. One Sip and You'll Surrender. You probably don't know any of these songs, but I, I play those songs when I do acoustic shows, you know, and Give the Live, Strip It Down, Eagles Fly, Strip It Down. But um, that's that's rewarding to me. But yeah, I uh, I hear songs. The songs that I'm most impressed with from my past are the ones like Red, these ambitious songs in high hopes, where I'm going, what the fuck was I thinking? I mean, it's <laughs> like memory rock, you know, three lock box. There's not one bar that's, you know, one, two, three, four. You know, every note, is there's a different note on every lick. And it's like fucking drive guitar players crazy, you know? <laughs> I have to play it myself if, I, if Vic Johnson's not around. <laughs> So, so when you I don't back, know why I was so ambitious musically. That's all I have to say. I was just going to say when you go back and look at it, can you get a sort of 
get into your head and figure out, you know. And it's an interesting thing too because it's, I mean, look, let's be real about it. As, as you're younger, one of the things that comes up too, you're always trying to impress everybody, including yourself. Yeah. Only when you get older do you realize that the best writing is the simplest and most direct. And that's actually probably the hardest to do. And, it, and it's the best. So it's funny. Can you look back on it and think like, all right, I guess, you know, I was trying to fucking do my King Crimson shit there or whatever it was. Yeah, that's kind of what it was. I was trying to be respected as a musician, you know, because I, I, any entertainer that's an, they call myself an entertainer, like I said, you know, Mick Jagger's an entertainer. I'm an entertainer. Steven Tyler's an entertainer. We're entertainers, you know. Van Morrison, he, he's kind of an entertainer because he's so quirky, but really he's he's not out there to entertain you. <laughs> you know? And J- J- John Mellencamp, he's entertaining because he's quirky, but he's not out there to entertain you. It's like, fuck you, I'm up here to sing my songs, you know, give me some respect. So all, all of us entertainers really would like to have respect. We never get it, you know? It's always like the entertainer is always just kind of like, well, he's an entertainer. He can't be a real artist, you know? And I like to think of myself as a real artist, so I used to try really hard <laughs> to, uh, you know, do something that would get at least other musicians' respect. And it, and it worked. I mean, I got so many young bands coming to me all the time that I don't even know who they are, and, it's, and, and, and they're just saying, oh, man, the first Montrose record, and... God, it's like, you know, without that record, we, you know, we would have never started, you know, Def Leppard who told me that a million times. And I love to hear that. I mean, that's like awesome. You think, oh, wow, I really, really touched some people with, you know, with, with what I've done. So, But it's so funny, too, because the reality is, is that, you know, you look at a band like the Scorpions, for example, right? I grew up on that band. I loved that band. Some of their songs today fucking suck balls, but they have some great songs. And here's a band that, you know, is still doing a Vegas residency for, critics hated that band. With a passion. I remember having a conversation with Don Henley, who's one of the greatest songwriters who ever lived, about the critical, you know, roasting the Eagles took all the time for their show sounding too much like the record. So it's interesting what you say about the respect, because I think it's funny, like, the respect seems to only come with time. Do you know how many times I did two contracts at, at Rolling Stone, right? How many times I would be on a red carpet and people would come up to me and be like, Rolling Stone trashed my album. Rolling Stone said, gave it two stars. And I'm like, cool, you know what? Rolling Stone also hated Led Zeppelin when they first came out. (laughs) You know, you're you're, you're in good company. But it's interesting. So for you, do you find that that respect has come with the longevity and the age? And it's like, I was talking about this with someone not long ago. I mean, Leonard Cohen, no one gave a shit about in his life. Only when, you know, in the last couple of years was he fucking God. Yeah. You know, and he was he was one of the greatest songwriters who ever lived. Uh, I'm not, yeah, the most profound. He could say the simplest thing that would fucking rivet your heart. So how did he do that? But no you one know. cared until he was like 80. Yeah, well, I did, but I know what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he he was selling out stadiums when he was 75 years old. Finally, before that, he couldn't fill a club. You know, 10, 20 years before that, and I, I I do get that. It, it's for me probably I'm getting a little bit less. Uh, I don't care as much. And for some reason, that attitude, I think, of the people, I think the critics can tell that, oh, no, Sammy don't give a shit anymore, man. He's, <laughs> he, he's cool now. You know, we accept him. Uh, I'm, I've gotten much more love from the press in the last 10 years of my life probably than I've ever gotten. And I'm happy with that, but it's, it's at a time when I don't give a shit. It's like, come on, guys. How about when I cared, you know? But that's funny, too, because it's like the dating metaphor, right? When you care, when you're desperate, no one wants to go out with you. Yeah. It's only when you're married or you don't give a shit that then all these people hit on you. Yeah, so it's, it's exactly, that's it. It's the, the fact that bait. you don't care. Everyone's like, oh, wait, but now you have that, that cool feel, you know? Maybe, I don't know, but it's pretty funny because I don't really know what 
critics think about music anymore anyway. It's just so weird because I don't know what they're relating it to. Because uh, that's, to me, you know, I came up from such a strong generation, a strong era, the 70s and the 80s. I mean, come on, the 90s too, really. I mean, you know, and then it all changed so much, it's not relative to anything that I did. And I'm going, well, how, do they, how does like a guy like you, who's been around through all that, how can you still have a valid opinion of some of this new stuff that's it's quirky? I mean, I, I dig it. I mean, I, I like the new art forms of music. I don't like pop in general. Right. But I like the weird shit that's out there, man. And there's some weird shit out there. It's so inspiring. You know, it's just like, you know, my daughter's playing me this stuff. I go, what the fuck, man? That's really, so was the thing that really, really creative and really good. You know? What was the last thing that really inspired you? Oh, man. I Honestly, I, I can't even answer that question because I probably don't know the names of the songs. I, I probably couldn't even sing them to you. Mm -hmm. But like I said, my daughter's, and my son too, my 33-year-old my son, who's now become, Andrew, he's becoming a musician. He's writing and singing and playing and he's, he's writing some cool stuff. But um, it just was so different. I go, what the fuck? How could these people do this? You know, that song, Sail. Um, Sail All Nation. Yeah. When I heard that for the first time, I went, Wow, I mean that is so brave. It's so original. It's so new. It's so different. And it had. It seemed like it had R and B roots. You know, to me, it seemed like it had a soul thing to it. And so just that that era is when I first started hearing a lot of different music. But but I would say, you know, somebody like me, I'm going. I don't hear Led Zeppelin in there. Wait, I don't hear the Stones in there. You know, now I'm starting to hear a little bit of the Stones and Led Zeppelin. You know, and some of these bands, but. Boy, they, they, this, there was that, I'd say, you know, the last 10-year run, 15-year run, uh, there's been some very creative music. But I just don't see how, like, say, a, a critic that grew up list, reviewing Sammy Hagar and Van Halen records can, you know, go out there and watch or hear, listen to these bands unless you're a real, a real music person. I mean, not just a business critic guy, a real music person say, no, this is, you know, this is music, you know, or this ain't, or that ain't music, and this is music. It'd be pretty tough. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't want that job. I'm a real musician, and, and like I say, I'm sometimes I'm scratching my head going, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing is like as a real, and you know, as a real musician, as, as someone who, and again, I have no musical talent at all, but I love music. I've always loved music my whole life. You still get inspired when you see something totally that blows you, you know? Right. And that and that's what it comes down to is still having that sense of discovery. But yes, then you go through periods where you're just like, oh my god! You know, it's funny what you were talking about earlier. How you felt like, you know, if you had one song, you would have just written that. So that that's been some of my frustration watching a lot of the pop shows of late. Was I feel like, and I said this in a review, like they just want to be famous, dude. They don't give a shit yeah. about the music. Like if they went up there. And they were just, you know, like if they had to play video games, if they played fucking Twitch on stage, if it made them famous, they would do it. If they did makeup tutorials, they would do that as well. 99% of people get into the business of being famous, an art of singing and performing, have that same attitude though. Uh, there's that 1% of the, you know, the Robbie Robertsons out there, I'd say, or the Van Morrisons or the, you know, Neil Young's. They they wanted it too, but they got over that a lot quicker. You know, Mellencamp, they got over it a lot quicker. They, they uh, then guys like me <laughs> and some of these other people, I, I, I fought it, man. I was saying, no, oh, maybe if I do this and I hear something and get inspired by it, so I want to make a record like that. I mean, I was that hungry, but also uh, easily inspired. But I'll tell you, like the Black Keys, for instance, um, you know, when they, I, I've been fan before they started making it, you know, that some of their real early stuff. And uh, just the two of them. And the production was so funky. But see, I could relate to that 
because it was coming from my era. They, they were playing the blues and, and you know, R&B to death, you know. And that first record that I guess they made, for, that they wrote, it was supposed to be for Ike Turner, uh, it was the uh, catch and uh, something to release. That was their first kind of big record, right? And I heard they wrote that. They were writing a, a record for Ike Turner. And they just made some demos, and they fucking released it. And, and that started really, they blew up a little bit, and then the next record, they exploded. And then now I don't think they're the same one. Their productions are too big now for me. I'm going, oh, man, that's way, <laughs> I like the two of those guys just getting down. Uh, I, I think a band like that is easier for a guy like me to, to accept, oh, these are new guys. I'm going to go see them. I dig them. Matter of fact, Chicken Foot, the first Chicken Foot record, we tried to get them to open for us. You know, I said, I, mean, I want to get, let's get the Black Keys zone for us. You know, they were playing three, 400-seat clubs, and they said, no, it was an honor to be asked, and, uh, but we'd rather play for 200 of our own fans than 5,000 of yours, you know? And I thought, these guys are fucking cool. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> That's the epitome of cool, you know? So Now, it's interesting. Is there one artist that you got to talk to over the years that, it's funny, we were talking about that thing of, you know, the 99% wanting to be famous, is there one artist that you got to talk to or that you really looked up to where you sort of got that perspective of, okay, like you mentioned Van Morrison, for example. I'm a huge Van Morrison fan. Me too. You know, he's one of the greatest singers of all time. One yeah. of the greatest songwriters. songwriters. Yeah. Performers. I mean, he used, to, he used to do all that crazy shit on stage and kicks and, and fucking pace around the stage. I thought he was crazy. You know, I thought, this guy's fucking crazy. I didn't He was. Know. But it's funny because yeah, if you've is. seen him recently, he's having a blast up there. And that's another example. Again, when artists get older, you just get more comfortable and you don't give a crap anymore. And he's like, he's up there. I said, cause I mean, I was like, you've probably known Van for years, right? I've met him 10 times. He wrote a song for me, but I can't say we're friends. I bet you we were walking down the street and I said, Hey Van, he wouldn't know who I was. And I said, Sammy Hager. I said, Oh, hey. Yeah. Well, I, I've never even interviewed, but it's interesting because I've watched him over the years so many times, right? I saw him a couple of years ago. He was playing the shrine. We were sitting up there doing Robert De Niro imitations. And you're like, is this really freaking Van Morrison? Yeah. He's a trip, man. Yeah. He's got his gangster suit on singing that jazz stuff, man. He, but is there one person that you, you mentioned, Neil Young, yeah. for example, that one person that you got to talk to, though, who you really sort of gave you that perspective? Because you've been around so many great people. Yeah. Uh, I got to say Maynard Keenan from Tool. I interviewed him for my TV show for um, Rock and Roll Road Trip because I met him through a wine buddy because he's a wine guy. And, and I went to see him. I said, I want to visit Maynard before we did the Rock and Roll Road Trip. So some guy said, yeah, Maynard, he'd like to meet you for lunch at his little restaurant in um, Jerome, Arizona. And uh, <clears throat> so I went there. I want to taste his wines. And, and I just wanted to meet him because I'm a huge Tool fan. I just think they're the coolest band that ever lived. I mean, well, in a long time. They're you know, what Pink Floyd was to me years ago. They just make a record when they want to, and they, they don't give a shit what, what's going on in the rest of the world. They are deep and dark. And I'm so light and so white light and so Mr. Sunshine that I couldn't be like that if I tried my... I, I mean, I couldn't ever be like that. And that's why it really appeals to me because it's like something I am not. And I just don't understand how they can be that dark and weird. But, so I wanted to meet Maynard. So I went and met him. He says, oh man, we became... We tightened up like this, go straight to his house. Charles me was winery stuff and starts playing me some stuff. I said, when are you guys going to make a record? This is like seven years ago, <laughs> five years ago. And when are you guys going to make a record? He said, well, we're working on it. I'm waiting for the other guys. Here's my part, and I'll play you some stuff. And it was the new shit that just came out, right? So I said, hey, you got to, we became friends. And, you know, I started texting and emailing and answering phone calls. And so I asked him to do Rock World Road Trip, and everybody said, hey, you ain't going to do it. He said, 
fuck yeah, let's do it. So I got to interview him. So I got deep. Instead of just being buddies, you know, I started saying, well, I can ask him questions now. And he was such a deep artist that I just was, it was, God, it was just the most intelligent artist in, in my world, people that I know, the way he was approaching his stuff and his ideas and, and why he did it and his opinion was just so fucking out there and so bizarre. Either he's like super intelligent and, and, and so quirky that he can create this image or he's a weird fucker. And, and uh, I, I got to say, I really am impressed by that guy. You know, he's magic on stage. He's fucking, he's powerful. And he's, in person, he's meek. You know, he's just... See, I love that, though, by the way, too, because I love the fact that, you know, it could be people of all ages. So it's someone who came after you that kind of inspired you. And it's interesting, because then when you look at what you got from someone like that, you know, talk about how that then ties in to the stuff that you've done musically of late. And, you know, is it, do you hear those influences? Or maybe just in the artistic approach, maybe it's not a musical approach, but just in the artistic approach to, as you say... You're going to make a circle record when you want, you know, or like for, you know, doing the videos for the last record. That was something that was just a passion project for you. That wasn't like. I didn't even, you know, I paid for it. I I said, I want to make this with the circle. I said, I want to make this little movie. And uh, everybody said, well, you know, record company's not going to pay for you to make a movie. I said, I don't care, you know. So I paid for it. And we did what we wanted. I had Joe Satriani's son, who's really a genius. And we did this whole thing. And. We didn't even have a home for it. We still don't have a home. Everybody said, well, what are you going to do with that thing? I don't know. You know, it's like there's no home. I said, maybe we'll get it in some film festivals. Some film festivals said, yeah, we take it if you show up and all that kind of stuff, you know. And But I just said, man, I don't want to just go on a film festival tour. So I don't want to release it as a DVD, you know, sell 500 copies. And, you know, it's like, it, I don't know what to do with it, but it's like art. You just, so I felt like there was something to say with the space between the circle record, there was something to say. I was trying to say, you know, greed's a fucked up thing in the world. I think greed is a problem. I don't get political, but I don't think it's about money. There's rich people that are doing some great things out there, you know, uh, and there's some poor people that are doing some bad things, and there's some poor people that are doing great things. There's some rich people that are doing some really bad things. It's greed. It's every, you know, you want more than you have, and 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 that's a fucked up human nature that uh, I'd like to see go away. So I wrote, wrote about it, you know, and... Um, so the movie kind of explains it a little better for those that wanted to see it. And uh, that was a piece of art. It's the first time, I think, other than making a few records that I've made for no reason, just say, I just want to make this record. Uh, other than that, it's the first piece of art. I think I've really said, no, this is pure art. This is a statement. You know, It's got a reason, and it, I want you to see it for that. Don't, even, don't pay for it. I'll give it to you. You know, Just want to <clears throat> see if it inspires you to be a better person. See if you got to a way you can say well we can make changes in the world today uh, maybe somebody else knows how to do it because I don't know how to do it <laughs> you know my job's to entertain you through it all say okay well let's have some fun for a couple hours and you'll forget your troubles and you'll go home and still be happy next day you'll be happy and you'll think about it a couple of days and then you'll be back to, to this <laughs> the fucked up minutiae we're all involved with all right, we'll wrap up on this. But, uh, you know, what I will say is it's got to be gratifying to be in the place that you can do that because, you know, you've had the career now. We talked about this last time. You've had the career where you can do that. You can say, you know what? I want to make this movie because I want to make it. And you don't have to. So we talked about it in comparison to like Springsteen's Western Stars, for example. Yeah, I love that record too. Yeah. And that movie was amazing. I haven't seen the movie, but I, oh, I, I liked it. I like that record. I sent Bruce a video of me listening to it and I said, Bruce. <laughs> 
this is really cool. You know, just saying, hey, man, I want to make this record. He wasn't trying to get rich and famous. You know, I mean, you can tell the difference, you know. Right. But <laughs> but again, he's already rich and famous, so he can do that. And that's yeah. nice. You're in that place where you have, like you said, you have that following. So if you want to make the movie, you know, and talk about just from that perspective how, you know, you'll use that going forward this year of like, so if you want to make this record, you can do it. If you want to tour and do these shows, you can't, you know. So what are the 2020 plans you know, and sort of how it ties in with that, having that artistic freedom to say, okay, I want to play a free show in Cabo now, so I can. You know, or I want to do an acoustic benefit up in San Francisco, so I can. Well, we do all that. <laughs> but uh, I, I think um, I got bit um, last year with the tour bug because I decided I made the new record. I really wanted to bring it to on tour and build, build a production around because I had that my statement about, hey, anti-greed, you know. Uh, greed's the root of all evil, not money. And... Um, so I wanted to fill in that space of the great divide that's going on in, politically in the world today, and not just politically in America. The whole world is divided. We don't like you. We don't like you. you know, and boy, it's becoming a, a, it's going to get ugly. It's already ugly. So I was just trying to do my little job to enlighten people that don't get caught up on the left or right. You, know? don't, you don't have to take a side. Just stay in the middle until somebody convinces you that they're doing the right thing completely. Don't just jump on the side. So I wanted to do that, and when I did it, the Circle is such a great band. We serve the old songs so well. You know, we play Van Halen, good. We play Montrose, good. We play all Early Sammy, better than the record. We play Led Zeppelin, really good, you know. We play Chicken Foot, great. So I really enjoy playing with this band. So I'm think now I, I got all freaked out in my head, and I'm going, you know what, I got to go play and do this while I still can. I can still sing. I can still hit the notes. I can still sing these songs, still perform. I'm still, you know, got energy and, and healthy. I thought, shit, next year I might not be able to. So now I'm all freaked out saying, no, I got I to gotta book more shows. I want to go to South America. You know, I've never been to South America. I want to go play for those people. So that's what's happened to me uh, by the freedom train of being able to do whatever I want. Now I found out that I still want to do the same freaking thing I, I wanted to do when I was 15 <laughs> years old. I want to go play music for the people. It's so beautiful. And to go full circle, it's so much more powerful. And that's what I call the band, The Circle. It's, you know, the whole thing. And we, uh, it just, I, this is my last band. I'm, you know, everybody said, what are you going to do next? You know, because Chicken Five had so many bands. If I have one fault, it's like, well, I didn't stick with one thing, you know. Uh, but I'm real proud of all that. But I tell you right now, The Circle, I cannot see myself putting together a new band. And if somebody left The Circle and we broke up, I probably would just do... I'd just play the cobble wobble and play acoustic shows for the rest of my life. I, you know, when I felt like doing it, do benefits. I don't know. Circles seems like it's my last touring band and recording band. I want to make another record of the Circle too. I love our record. It's my favorite record I've made in hundred years, man. I'm uh, every song. You know, <clears throat> to get my voice in shape for a tour, I I go in my studio with my one guitar cranked up Les Paul to a Marshall stack. I turn on my PA all by myself and I play that whole record and I sing it and play it. That's how that's how much I love that record. I don't I've never done that in my entire life with any record I've ever made. First of all, Van Halen record could never do it. I could never play all those parts and sing at the same time. So that never happened. But no, I, I that's what I do. I play it all by myself. I play it and scream it and that's I still get joy from it. That's how much I love that. Every lyric on the record Space Between is like, it was a labor of love that I got caught up in that I didn't even realize. I just think, well, I got a couple of new songs. I like this idea, and I'm going to make them. 
I'm going to go in and record a couple songs for no reason and with my band. And we were so good. The next thing I know, we, we had a record. And it was like, what? This thing's almost done. So then I went back through it with a fine-tooth comb, and I made sure everything was exactly... I was never going to go, oh, I should have changed that part. I, was, I said, I'm never going to do that on this record. I'm going to... And that's... Other than that, we could have did the record in a week. But... I, I really fine-tuned it, change the lyric here. Change. I Don Henley it to death. I, Don's famous for that, you know, changing one word, and you now I got to say it just like this in the old days anyways. I don't know what he's doing now, but... And uh, I was never a perfectionist like that, but I did it on this record, and I love it to death. Cool. What do you want to add I didn't ask you about, because that seems like a good wrap-up note. No, it's all good. I still got my businesses. You know, I'm a business-minded guy. Uh, I, I create jobs. did you just announce like a new rum with Rick Springfield, too? Well, I've had this rum for f almost five years, and, and Rick came to me. Yeah, this is a good story. Rick Springfield comes to me. Good old buddy. You know, he had a hit with my song, right? You know? Uh, we, we hit I it. love Rick. I've interviewed him once. several times. He's a great dude. Yeah, he is. He's and he's a great musician. You know, uh, he, he's so he comes to me and says, "Hey, Sammy, I need to, uh, you know, I want to talk to you about some business." Okay, he said, "Hey, I want to get in the liquor business." You know, he said, "You know, Jesse's girl make a cool uh, kind of a liquor, maybe or some kind of a beverage in a can, a Jesse's girl, you know, poured over ice." You know, how do we get in the business? You know, I'm going. Let me tell you, it's going to take you about two years. How, you know, how big of a hurry are you? It's going to take a couple million bucks, and it's going to take a couple years. You're going to have to hire some people. And, and, and then he's going, wow. I said, look, fuck it. Just, why don't you just join up with me with the rum, and we'll make a Jesse's Girl cocktail out of my rum, and we'll invent it, and you go out and help me promote it. He said, yeah, right. You got a deal. And I saw, so he, he bought in. I've never even thought about having a partner with the rum. It's my little baby with my name on it. And... um you know, Guy Fieri uh, with with my Santo Tequila came in, and it was so powerful that it. I started thinking that way. You know, I've never I did it by myself with Cabo Wabo, and it was like you know I had partners on the business side, but not other celebrities. So anyway, it's kind of like I'm looking at being team, teaming up with Rick Springfield for Beach Bar Rum and Guy Fieri for for Santo Tequila. It's kind of like when the tours you go out and you start making packages you say yeah you need a you know package where you sell more tickets you know <laughs> you could do arenas instead of theaters and uh, so that's kind of the way i'm looking at the 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 spirits industry now and it's fun i love spirits because when you walk in a bar and you see your freaking your booze on that back bar or when you you know you it's like hearing your song on the radio you know, you're going, my God, that's my shit. Look, there's a guy just ordered it. Holy shit, I hope he don't see me, man. I want to see how he likes it, you know. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's 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 really exciting business. It's it's the same as the record industry to me, seeing your, your products out there. And it makes fans have something to do, have fun, come and see your show. We're all on the same stuff. It's like in the old days, you'd all take the same acid, you know, hopefully. <laughs> now you're all on the same booze. Cool. Peace and love. See you in 2020. The Circle. Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you have been here this week on My Turning Point with our special guest, Sammy Hagar. We promised you a fun show, and I think we delivered pretty damn well. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to Sammy as much as we did. We can listen to that dude all day long. Thanks. Have a good one. We'll see you next week.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 